Hey, y'all. This is Jonathan Martin welcoming you back for another edition of the Zeitcast. Wow. You know, um, first of all, wherever you're listening right now, I assume a lot of you are holed in somewhere. Some of you maybe don't have the privilege of being able to do that. But wherever you are, I want you to know that you're seen, that you're known, that you're loved, that you're not alone in a single thing that you're feeling right now. I know I've written a couple short things online, but honestly, I feel like I've been trying to record some version of this episode for days. But it it's kind of the way it is with anything right now in the right or um, certainly in trying to say something about COVID-19, the coronavirus, the, um, this whole kind of uh, catastrophe that the world is in right now, where I've just had to sit and just kind of let this churn and churn and churn, because I just know there's a lot of noise out there right now. And the last thing I want to do is just contribute to the noise and or, or just be another angry voice or whatever. So I, I wanted to, um, and, and there's a time to just be an angry voice. That's not all bad, but I wanted to, I wanted to take a minute. So um, I, I do want to offer some words of comfort. I'd love to offer some words of hope. And yet I don't want to do that in a way that uh, feels cheap or cheats to get there. I keep thinking about this story because some of y'all know I love to tell fun stories about my Pentecostal upbringing. And of course, in my tradition, um, we we very much believe one of the staples of the tradition is speaking in tongues. And uh, especially this idea that a person um, speaking under this kind of divine utterance can, in the middle of a corporate worship gathering, can speak in an unknown tongue, and someone else in another part of the room uh, might receive an interpretation for that tongue. That uh, and it, it's 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 a it's a holy, sacred, sometimes kind of scary moment. There tends to be a holy hush, and um, you, the when it's wonderful, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and. I've had some some beautiful experiences of, of this in my life that I that I really treasure. But I must admit, there's a real special place in my heart too for what I think of as like Holy Ghost stories gone wrong, and this is one of my favorites of those. Where in a Pentecostal church service, a man gets up, he gives out a tongue, and everybody's heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, and the holy hush falls over the Room and we're, you know, the sense of waiting for God to break in and sovereignly speak. And then a man on the other side of the room gets up and he gives the interpretation, and the interpretation is this Be ye not scared, for I, the Lord your God, have also been scared. <laughs> I love that story for so many reasons because. For one, um, 
I love the sort of vague King James-ish, be ye not as scared. But this idea that somehow it would bring comfort for God to say, don't be afraid because I've also been afraid. (laughs) There's something about that that's so amazing to me. Uh, if God's saying to us, yeah, yeah, don't, don't be scared. I've also been scared, kids. Oh, that's just a great story on so many levels. You know, the truth is there is this refrain. It's a mantra all throughout Scripture, First and Second Testament. It's there all the way back on the Mount of Sinai, even with all the thunder and lightning and scary stuff. It's certainly is there when the God who created the mountain of Sinai is now embodied in Jesus of Nazareth, and he's speaking to his disciples now on the other side of resurrection, and they're terrified. Over and over again, whenever people have an encounter with the divine, this is what we hear. Do not be afraid. Whenever God speaks to people, That always seems to be the first thing that God says to us. Do not be afraid. At every turn, don't be afraid. Oh, how we need to hear those words right now. How we need to hear those words of comfort. And yet, and yet, how exactly can we not be afraid? How can we not be scared when there's so much to be afraid of? And especially for people that we love. It's human to be afraid, especially for people that we love. Who that's got a heart in their chest doesn't doesn't text 76 times when that loved one is out late and the weather's bad and you're not sure if they've made it. Who like... Like, who, who, who is that person who's um, somehow impenetrable to uh, when it's a bit like it's, it's human to be afraid, especially for the people that we love. And I think this is real important to note, too, that when God says to us, when Jesus says to us, do not be afraid, that that's never a phrase that's weaponized. Do not be afraid is not a rebuke. Do not be afraid is not followed by moron. Do not be afraid, dumbass. Do not be afraid. You're being irrational. You're blowing things out of proportion. No, do not be afraid is a phrase full of tenderness. Do not be afraid is not a way of minimizing our fears. Or saying that you're overreacting or the dangers being over dramatized somehow. When Jesus tells us not to be afraid, it's not because he's threatened or inconvenienced or irritated somehow by our anxiety, nor is Jesus ever trying to impose some false sense of order onto our sense of disorder. No, when the son of love speaks this different word against fear, he does so as one who still bears the scars and marks of death all over him. 
he speaks a word against fear as one who's already been into the abyss, who's already descended into the disorder. Jesus does not deny the grave. Rather, he's the one who's already entered into it and then rose from it. But Jesus never tells us that the worst thing will not happen, that it cannot happen to us. Jesus tells us not to be afraid as one who's already experienced the worst thing. The worst thing that could happen has already happened and that God died. It's just according to the Christian story, the worst thing that could happen is not the last thing that happens. Death doesn't have the final word. Resurrection is the final word. And that's why in the Christian story, resurrection is a kind of hard-edged hope, not a form of denial, not a way of burying our heads in the sand and pretending that what's happening is not happening. It's not uh, PR. It's not, um, it's not some kind of spin. That's just not what resurrection is, is all about. So now here we are in the midst of this pandemic. We're in the midst of this crisis. I'm very aware that I'm not a doctor. I'm not an uh, epidemiologist or any of that. And yet, like the rest of you, I'm trying to reckon with this. And we're trying to figure out how to best care for people in our community. Which, by the way, um, that to me, even when we first were having conversations about um at the table in Oklahoma City about um, which we did decide just to have our live stream service on Sunday. We made that decision, um, you know, fairly early, I think. But, but, but that was the whole decision for us. Well, of course, we're not going to be driven by fear. We're going to be driven by love. But what does it look like? What, that's, that's the thing. There's a, love gives us a security to, to know how to love our neighbors well to know how to love those who are most vulnerable among us. Of course, this has nothing to do with fear. Nothing to do with fear at all, but rather as perfect love casts out fear in the language of 1 John, we've got to be secure enough in the love of God to know how to care for those who are most weak and vulnerable among us. And what does that look like here? That, that, that was the whole decision. I'm not casting judgment on anybody who didn't make the decision. That's water on the bridge. But in terms of how we would just approach all this, I think that that has to be the sense is um, what does it look like to to love our neighbors well? And obviously just in the last, what, 48 to 72 hours, how just how quickly it seems that everybody's understanding of what it means to love our neighbors well, not well, maybe not everybody, but for most people, um, I know there's not exactly a consensus, but it certainly seems that the story is moving forward rapidly. Um, I, I will I will tell you this, and I don't want to share more than um, I have permission to share, so I'll use some caution here. My friend Stephanie Tate, some of you remember, she's been on the Zeitcast, and she's an amazing person, writer. I encourage you to look her up online, read everything she's got out. She's extraordinary. Uh, she's a great writer, uh, disability advocate who also is disabled, and um, Stephanie has unique perspective on all of this. She lives in Oregon that's been especially ravaged by all of this, the whole part of the country, really ravaged by the pandemic. So Stephanie has been quarantined already for weeks. And uh, because of some of her health issues already, she's just uniquely immunocompromised and um, 
we have been especially praying for her and continue to pray for her. And so Stephanie's one of those people that I've just had heavy on my heart. And um, I will I will tell you this, um, and this brings me into some of the tensions that I'm feeling in this moment. You know, S- Stephanie, while she's been quarantined for weeks, and even with all the existing health issues that she has that puts her at unique risk, is not able even yet to get access to a test for the coronavirus. She's not able to be tested for COVID-19 because that's... That's just how botched this whole thing still is at this point. There's just not access to testing, even for people who are the most vulnerable. She knows at this point that she's been in contact with somebody who had the virus and still no testing. I'm thinking about a friend within our own community at the table who works um, kind of essential personnel for the Thunder which meant being in close proximity with the Utah Jazz in the game that got canceled um, just before tip-off, because, of course, we now know two Utah Jazz players have the virus. Um, That particular friend of ours has been quarantined ever since that game that didn't happen. So now, how many days has that been? I mean, we're coming up on a week. Still hasn't had a test. I mean, I know all the, um, the players are getting tests, but even being kind of core personnel has not had a test, Um, which, you know, you think about that because I know like here in the state of Oklahoma, we have 10 confirmed cases of the virus. Think about how badly skewed these numbers are when even people who've been in proximity with the virus are not able to get tests because essentially what, especially folks are, are kind of self-quarantined. Their largest thing is just kind of stay where you are. Uh, but not necessarily tested. Another uh, good, good friend of ours within our community, um, her mom, uh, basically spent a whole week, like in the last two weeks, working with a friend who was in from out of state. Uh, They worked on a job together, close proximity all week. Now she knows that friend has formally been diagnosed with the coronavirus, right? And yet, and she, she has, you know, basically all the, all the symptoms, She's self-quarantined, but they're essentially saying, stay where you are, no access to testing. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just grappling with all this because on the one hand, you know, um, yes, choosing faith over fear. We're praying for all of our friends. I, I do know that for most people who are younger and healthier, uh, that of course, that they're going to survive thrive, like all of that. Um, But especially as we look at what's happening in Italy, especially as we look at this in in a global pandemic, we're hearing a lot of language right now about flattening the curve. Um, Just the raw math in terms of where this is going uh, and the very real possibility of hospitals being flooded and all of that. um, Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just, like so many of you, I'm I'm struggling because um, I would want to say on the one hand, um, I'm grateful. And some of you know I've had um, sharply critical things to say about the Trump administration. But I would want to be the first to say that in the last couple of days, there have been plenty of moves. There have been several initiatives that I feel like are, are really positive. And um, I, I want to give credit where credit is due there. I think there's certainly been some strong moves in the last couple of days where there have been movement in the right direction. But wow, um, 
at the, it's it's very difficult for me as a person of faith, um, as a person of faith who, by role of my vocation and just in terms of my friendships, uh, relationships with a lot of folks who represent um, vulnerable communities, uh, the very fact that um, from the highest office in the land that we had language for weeks that minimized this and language of you know, a democratic hoax and uh, the fact that all of this has been politicized as much as it as it has. I mean, it's just um, it's just really, really unfortunate. And I wasn't even sure when I started how much I wanted to do a deep dive into that. I mean, of course, you know, I think all of us are surrounded with those kind of conversations. And I don't want to say anything that would be uh, unhelpful. I'm always wanting to build bridges where that's possible. And I know that one of the unique challenges of our time, of the moment we're in, because things are so polarized, there's not a 60 minutes, right? There's not a consensus news source that everybody would agree that this is an authority that everybody's going to trust. Um, I just, um, I, I will say this, um, that it, 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 it sure seems that there were warning signs and ways that probably we could have been more well prepared. And it's hard for me not to be angry on some level um, that we didn't take this more seriously than we did. Um, and I and, and I think there's just this sense, even this um, this whole idea of conspiracy language and uh, this, you know, the ubiquitous language of the, the media, the media, this a media-driven narrative. Uh, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, certainly in a time where we're dealing with a pandemic, there are responses to all of this that are not uh, healthy. I mean, the toilet paper thing, right? It would be the most conspicuous example. Uh, nobody is getting diarrhea um, from th- this respiratory illness, right? So that's that seems like kind of a ridiculous response. I mean, I understand it, especially when um, a lot of folks don't trust the government right now. There's kind of mass panic, et cetera. So, you know, yeah, I get it. But it's not a healthy response. So, like, we can say that that's a response out of fear and panic that doesn't make a lot of rational sense. Like, I get that. But the idea of this kind of just sort of being a media conspiracy and um, I don't know. I just think it it strikes me as deeply unfortunate that we're in an age where across the board there is such a deep mistrust of expertise. Anyone who's trained um the 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 fact that um if someone comes into contradiction with our favorite uh politician uh political party or pundit on cable news and um that comes up against cuz here, here's what I want you to think about right um cuz I was hearing so much of this language about uh this is a kind of a liberal conspiracy against president trump or against the republican party some I mean, we're talking about basically a global consensus among epidemiologists, scientists, doctors, healthcare professionals around the world. We're not talking about something that, uh, that, that, that we're not talking about something um, that started here. Uh, don't even get me going on the president's tweet referring to the the China, the China virus. I. I can't handle it, but I'll save that for a minute. But we're, the, the global nature of the virus and the idea yet somehow that there's this 
massive conspiracy uh, like within our political system or, or the media, everybody just called each other up one day. And what exactly happened? Because I could tell you this, like I'm a huge fan. Anybody who knows me knows I'm a big NBA guy, right? It's one of the things I love most about being in Oklahoma City is I love the Oklahoma City Thunder, I must admit. Uh, it's a minor inconvenience to be sure compared to the life and death stuff people are dealing with. But oh, I am going through deep withdrawals with the NBA regular season being postponed, possibly canceled. But just think about this, y'all. Like anybody who, if you are a conspiracy theorist, then anybody who you think is like part of the Illuminati, uh, these are people who own and run the, like the NBA. Like these are the most, some of the most powerful, influential, wealthy people in the world. Like who's... Who is high enough up to get a, a a season of professional basketball canceled? Like that's that that's a pretty serious conspiracy right there. I just um, I, I just find all that to be uh, or, or 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 the idea that um, and and look okay maybe to a point right. I understand that um, whenever there's a crisis in the world that that drives traffic to media to a point but also like so march there is no march madness there are no award shows there are no movie premieres all the events that media covers like just the idea that this is just some kind of a conspiracy i got in the, in the middle of all this man i never thought i'd see the day i don't know when i've ever agreed with tucker carlson about anything but Tucker Carlson, of all people, or uh, Newt Gingrich, <laughs> wrote this piece from Italy about how serious all of this is and how, uh, how problematic it was that segments of right-wing media are missing this. It just all, to me, strikes me as so unfortunate. And somehow we moved within a few minutes from Democratic hoax to now... Um, like federal, the federal government suggesting to us that we not gather in groups larger than 10 people. I, I appreciate that. I support that. I think that's what it looks like to love the people well around us. And I appreciate any, any attempts at containment. I think that's good. I think that's faithful. I think that's right. I just think uh, that a lot of the divisiveness early on was unnecessary and a lot of the confusion. I'm talking to people within our church community who work in the healthcare industry and they're talking about what a crap show that things really are on that end. And it just seems like some of that really would not be necessary. But hey, you know, um, I, I, I know I'm not in a position to fix these things. So what do we do? We, we, we pray to be sure. We use our voices and whatever way that we can, in whatever way that we have influence, we try to do that in a way that's faithful from where we are. But I do, I am struggling with um, with deep frustration around that, partly because I think um, some of what we're seeing is that um, this whole business, and we know we've been heading there for a while, but it's, uh, it's, just, it's just dangerous. Uh, people start circulating rumors about martial law and they want to come and take your guns. So then people want to stockpile weapons and ammunition, man. This stuff is dangerous in people's real lives. And um, I, 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 I don't even like it when people necessarily, you know, we'll talk about this being like, right. It's really not right wing. Um, almost everybody know that, that, you know, what nothing. I'm on a bit of a rant now. Aren't I? 
Um, the Republican Party, as it has been historically known in terms of identifying with any conservative philosophical principles, basically does not exist. Any coherent conservative um, like sort of philosopher or pundit is going to, to tell you that. What we have right now is uh, is just not recognizable in that form. What we have in the era where the architects, a lot of the ideology that's out there are people like Steve Bannon and Stephen Miller, uh, is... is, is um, uh, to, to put it mildly, it's not conservative at, at all. And uh, there is a lot of fear that's being stoked. There is a lot of panic that's being stoked. And I think especially in a time of crisis, uh, we see how deeply ingrained that is. Um, we see that especially coming out in peoples of faith, leaders of faith communities in ways that I think are wildly irresponsible. And um, and that does that does make me sad. But in the meantime, uh, because I'm not just, I don't want to just talk about the things that worry me, anger me, any of that. Um, I also do, and I'm without, again, trying to just kind of spin anything, I do feel like it's a time of unique opportunity. And I think what we have to do in any season is uh, where there's crisis and any season where there's um, in, uh, like unique challenge to raise the question which, by the way, is not a way of saying that God is somehow causing or orchestrating any of this, because I don't believe that for a second. But what is the invitation of the Spirit in this moment? What is the invitation of the Spirit? It seems like the, the pause button is being hit on the whole world. And the economic anxiety that we're all feeling. I'm feeling it, aren't you? Oh, it's so scary. So we're feeling it. But, but the, that, that pause button is being hit. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What does it mean? So we're having to take a breath here. In the midst of everything that's happening, what might God, by the Spirit, be doing in our own lives, individually, in our families, in our communities, in our faith communities? Because one of the things, you know, I love most about how God works, and I've thought about this a whole lot in recent days, is just how well, I'll put, about this. I'll put it like this. I keep thinking about that mysterious passage in John 20, where the disciples were meeting behind locked doors, and all of a sudden, the resurrected Jesus just, poof, he disappears, standing in their midst. And it seems like that's what Jesus has always done. It seems like that's what Jesus is always doing, showing up in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, doing things we can't explain. And you know, like at a place like the table where we have such an emphasis on the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, communion. I can't explain how the body of Christ is present through the crumbs on my lips or the wine in the cup, but I know that somehow God meets us there in that meal. I can't explain how I believe it's somehow possible that the same presence that Moses felt on Mount Sinai when the mountain convulsed can somehow be felt when someone opens up their laptop and maybe somehow also opens up their heart too and in some weird way over a Wi-Fi signal feels some kind of a connection that maybe there's something and someone larger out there that loves them and sees them and knows them. I don't understand how any of those things are possible, but I believe 
in each of those scenarios. I believe in a God who's not limited by time, space, geography, form. And, you know, I, it's, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to just put a positive spin on any of this, but I think there's such an opportunity right now for us to think and to pray about how we do love our neighbors well in this uniquely challenging moment. How do we connect? Um, we're, we're certainly trying to figure out ways to do that digitally as well to, as care for each other's physical needs in ways that also still uh, respect space because we know that love itself is not going to be quarantined. <laughs> now, our bodies, however, are very connected. They do have limitations. They have restrictions. So we know we have to honor those and we have to respect them, not out of self-protection, but because the God revealed in Christ has called us to his way of self-giving, right? So um, so we're, we're trying to figure out what that looks like. But I do think in the midst of this that there is unique opportunity and... Um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm wanting in the coming days and weeks, however long this lasts, uh, whatever kind of little digital community we can create around this space with the Zeitcast. I, I would love to do that. And I want to be as present as I can be uh, for you guys as you're bringing your own questions and your own doubts. And I'm bringing mine. I don't claim to have answers to just about anything. I really don't. Um, I know I want to try to be a good neighbor to the people around me, uh, where that means social distancing, where that means trying to be present in other ways. I know I want to express deep gratitude because I know so many medical professionals and researchers and community leaders who are on the front lines battling this pandemic. And I want you guys to know just how grateful I am for all of you. But really, for everybody's listening, I just want you guys to know that I am praying for you, and I want to try to be faithful to to, to check in as as much as I can, and let's check in on each other, share needs with each other, and just lean on each other in all the ways that the the bodies of Christ do, the bodies of Christ that compose this body of Christ, any and all ways that we can embody the grace that we need. Um, I do know that for all the things that are being canceled right now, and I think that's good and right and appropriate, I know that Easter hope has decidedly not been canceled. Easter's still moving forward. Resurrection is still moving forward. And I have to think that in this time where, um, even where there's so much anxiety and there's so much panic and uh, there are real reasons to be afraid, I do know that in some way that the purposes of God, the purposes of love are, are moving forward too. And we have to discern that. And we have to discern that together. And I want to invite you into that discernment process right where you are. What is the part that you're supposed to play? What is the part that you're called to play? Even in the midst of all the, the really anxious questions, man, there's also, there's a part that you're supposed to play in this. What are you supposed to lean into right now? while everything else is being shut down. What does God have for you? Maybe you haven't come up for air long enough to even ask that question. So no judgment if you haven't. But maybe now's the now's a good time to start asking it, thinking about it, praying about it. I'd love to help pray about that with you. So resurrected God, crucified and resurrected God. Jesus Christ. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Abba, we cry out for you, we groan for you. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but I thank you that you've given us your spirit that prays for us and through us with groans too deep for words. It's hard to even know where to begin. But for all my friends who need help right now, God, I just pray that you would help them in whatever way they need it most. Financial provision, wisdom, discernment, knowing where they fit into this whole story right now. It's so rapidly changing. Pray for comfort. Pray for guidance. Pray that for, for friendship and uh, in whatever form it can be found, that there would be community. Mm. I pray specifically for people who just feel just uniquely isolated right now, not just in the social distancing way, but who feel really like cut off and alone. Would you allow them to feel your presence now in a way that lets them know that they're not alone, that they're not abandoned, they're not forgotten about? Oh, so many of us, so many people right now that just feel overwhelmed, just paralyzed by anxiety. What do we even do next? How will we know? God, would you give us the grace just to be present to this moment? Even if we don't know the next four steps to the next five steps. But we have these, this next minute, this next five minutes, just sit here now to be with you now, to be with whoever we're with in this house, in this space, wherever we are. Could you let that be enough? That you're here with us now. You've given us this moment. And it is a gift. In life, it's a, it's a gift and it's precious. For my friends whose immune systems are compromised, I gotta pray for protection. Pray for safety. God, for friends who are infected, for people and um, healthcare professionals who are at risk, oh, Spirit, would you guard, guard them? Would you protect them? Would you keep them? Would you keep watch over them? Would you watch over us all? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for hanging with me. If it was rambling, I'm not sorry. What else would you be doing? <laughs> I love you guys. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here as much as I can. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for the time. Uh, for all of you who support in any way, like, sharing, review, that's so appreciated. Patrons, you guys are awesome. And I'm so, so thankful for each and every person who makes this possible. There's a link from my website, jonathanmartinwords.com, to keep this thing going. Please know that I will continue to keep all of you in my prayers. And uh, yeah, the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be in touch real soon.